0: morning, UCC. Oh, you have no idea what you've done giving me a wireless microphone. (laughs) Mega Church Marty had lots of fun on the stage. This will still keep me reined in some, but now I don't have to stand in one spot. Brace yourselves. Um, Thanks for your graciousness a couple weeks ago. I'm glad Jeremiah was able to wing it. Um, For all you that have sent me messages and are praying for me, I don't have any answers. I still feel kind of the same. Uh, We're just waiting for tests, so that's all I can tell you, and I'm even more frustrated than you are with that information. So Um, anyway, so uh, that's that. Uh, We are in this series, and I was asked to preach on um, the body of Christ, and probably one of the best sermons I've ever heard on the body of Christ was actually here just like a couple years ago, preached by this person right here. And, um, and I, I remember thinking when she gave that sermon, I was like, man, I hope they never asked me to preach on this topic here. <laughs> because I have no idea what would be said now. Um, but she talked, Katie, you talked about this. Um, I remember you talking about, uh, rep- I mean, it was a long time ago, but I can still remember this, talk about representation and, and the non-normative experience and whether or not when we think about the body of Christ, am I getting any of this correct? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Do we think, do we picture the body of Christ being, you know, the normative experience or does it really truly entail all of these other experiences? And was just so well said. And, um, and so I was like, great, when I saw the Excel spreadsheet. I was like, no, just just play Katie's sermon again. <laughs> um, but, but I want to talk today about a lesson that when I heard it, I heard it, uh, it's a lesson I usually say for the other side of the globe, I heard it on the other side of the globe, and the first time I heard it, I checked out halfway through. Um, I, I got to a spot in the middle of the message where I was just, su- the lesson, and I was super uncomfortable. Not like in this, like I was, I was just, my brain was not, it was the end of a trip. I had been going for like 13 days. My sponge was full, and I just was done. And I just kind of checked out, and and I didn't hear the rest of the message, and I was kind of upset about the lesson. And... And luckily I got to hear it again a few years later, and this time I listened past the point where I checked out, and it was really, really life-changing and impactful for me. So I'm going to hope to present it in a way where maybe you don't check out halfway through, but I want to talk about the body of the Christ by talking about persecution. Now, when I say that, I automatically have to give some caveats immediately, don't I? cuz cuz when i said i want to talk about the body of christ in terms of persecution we did we we may have done a few different things i can think of two things that come to mind that are important enough to give word to some of us may have but because when we think of persecution we may think of some of our own suffering or even some of our own trauma or some of the own things that we've been through not that those won't be related but I want to recenter the conversation in a different place. Uh, another group of us may have gotten very nervous because today when you talk about persecution in the year of our Lord 2023 in America, right, we immediately start doing something with the idea of persecution in the church. And all of a sudden we're real wound up about our rights and how they're taking our faith away and signs on bathrooms and coffee cups at Christmas and, 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 and we're, not, we're not here for that that's not what i want to talk about today so <laughs> so here's what i here's what i do want to do and this is really tricky i have prayed a lot about this morning we prayed we prayed here around this table this morning it's a little tricky to have this conversation but I, I i've prayed over it we'll see what jesus wants to do i want to just read some things to recenter ourselves and i want to start by recentering ourselves historically i don't want to stay there all morning but i just want to recenter the conversation historically in the world of the bible does that make sense the world of the bible and the world that comes just maybe immediately after the bible the world of this early church because that world is most certainly not 2023 america and if we connect what i'm about ready to do to 2023 america i think we need to go have a cup of coffee after church does that make sense so let me just read some things just to get our mind in the right place. I, I don't want to overdo this or be overdramatic, but I, I just want to read some things. I want to pause after each one and just, just, to get our, just to get ourselves centered, maybe. The Prefect Rusticus says, Approach and sacrifice all of you to the gods. Justin Martyr says, No one in his right mind gives up piety for impiety. The prefect Rusticus says, If you do not obey, you will be tortured without mercy. Justin replies, That is our desire, to be tortured for our Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved, for that will give us salvation and firm confidence at the more terrible and universal tribunal of our Lord and Savior. Polycarp, famous story, the disciple of the Apostle John, was once brought to the arena of Smyrna. Tied to the stake, he was ordered to affirm the lordship and deity of Caesar, He replied, for 86 years I have served Jesus and he has never wronged me in any way. How then could I possibly curse my very king and savior? The soldier began piling wood around the stake and went to nail down Polycarp's limbs. But Polycarp assured the soldiers, leave me as I am. The one who gives me the strength to endure the fire will also enable me to remain motionless against this stake without being secured. After allowing Polycarp to pray, the soldiers lit the wood on fire. The Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All the martyrs said, Do as you wish, for we are Christians and we do not sacrifice to idols. The prefect Rusticus read the sentence, Those who do not wish to sacrifice to the gods and obey the emperor will be scourged and beheaded according to the law. The holy martyrs glorifying God betook themselves to the customary place where they were beheaded and consummated, their martyrdom confessing their Savior. One last one from Tertullian, about 200 A.D., he said this, "'Blessed ones, you are about to pass through a noble struggle "'in which the living God is our manager "'and the Holy Spirit is your trainer. "'The prize is an eternal crown. "'The prison does the same service for the Christian "'that the desert did for the prophet. "'The leg does not feel the chains when the mind is in heaven.'" And it hits different sometimes when you're even able to sit in some of these places and read some of these quotes. But I read those things and I recenter myself in history and all of a sudden I really don't care about Starbucks at Christmas time. And it helps me reframe what my normative experience typically will too easily call persecution. For me, not you, for me. I don't know your story you bring with you through the doors today, but for me, that's helpful. I want to I look at some passages, but I want you all to help read them. We are talking about the body of Christ today. So I have five passages, and I need five volunteers, one at a time. Then I want you to read the passage that's up on the screen, and I just want to reflect on the passage that will be up there. And I want you to read it nice, don't read it fast, read it nice and slow so that we can all think about it, see it, read it with you, all those kinds of things. And I'll add some commentary in between these, don't you worry. (laughs) Um, So let's see here, Who who would be my first, oh no, there we go, okay. Who would be my first volunteer to read Matthew 24, verse 9, thank you. Then they will hand you over to be tortured and will put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So uh, in Matthew, Jesus speaking to his disciples, telling them that they will be tortured and put to death. Now, good exegesis may cause us to say to this passage, okay, that's Jesus speaking specifically to his disciples. I think that's a decent Question and consideration. I do need to wonder why they took the time to put it in the gospel if it's not for the rest of us. I also wonder what some of these folks that I just read about, how they heard this gospel, this message when they read it. I don't think they would have heard it as being strictly for the apostles. But you will be tortured. They will hand you over. Not they may, not they might. They will hand you over to be tortured and will put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Is my next volunteer for Luke 21, verse 12. All right. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. Thank you. So if it's not torture and death, it will be ridicule and persecution. It will be arrest. It will have not just a political, social element to it, but synagogues are listed. It will also have a spiritual family element to this experience. Jesus says you won't even always be safe in your own religious people groups, your own faith communities. They will treat you this way. Again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, so we might have that same thought of like, okay, this is specifically about what's going to happen right after Jesus' death. I still have that list of questions, but it's at least something to be aware of before we pull stuff out of context and proof text and idea. Good, Good questions. Who wants to read a little bit longer portion here out of John 15? Anybody on this side of the room? I want you guys to play too. Let's balance this thing out. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, okay, we got one back there. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the the word that I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Thank you. So now this passage, John 15 is definitely not a passage we typically apply only to the disciples. And the reasoning that Jesus gives here is definitely gonna to start to get a little bit. Well, this would, this is going, this is the abide in the vine as you abide in me, all that, and then you eventually get to the end of the abiding passage and you get to this one. If the world, and again, let's pause if our brain is already doing the whole culture wars thing. Let's take a deep breath. Remind ourselves that's not what Jesus is talking about, the world hating us. The world, and Jesus says, the world in their world is this this. This more cosmic battle between this age and the age to come. I like to use the word empire. There's an imperial way of doing things in the world, connected to the principalities and powers of the air. Like there's light and darkness, sons of light and there's sons of darkness. There is an imperial oppression in the world. That's the world, not secularism. That doesn't, that doesn't happen yet, in a sense, maybe. This is imperialism. This is, in, this is systematic injustice. We'll get to something more relevant for our world later. Thank you for the chuckle. <laughs> but what I want to hone in on here, home in on, is this last part. Notice the reasoning. Remember the word that I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Jesus' reasoning is, you're not greater than me. So don't think you're going to get out of the suffering. If I suffered, you're going to suffer. That's how this works. And one of the things I love to say all the time, and you've heard me say it before here, is Jesus didn't suffer so that you and I didn't have to. Jesus suffered to show us how to. Jesus did not go to the cross so that we didn't have to. Jesus went to the cross to show us how to. He even told us, take up your cross and follow me. What is he really saying to thomas when thomas says show us the way or philip i can't even remember my bible characters right now but he says show us the way to the father and he says i am the way what's the context of i am the way the truth and the life i'm headed to the cross i'm showing you the way that's a whole other sermon but notice his logic if i suffered you will suffer So Jesus tells his disciples, you will see suffering and persecution. Jesus tells his disciples and the rest of us, realize that if I suffer, this is the path that you will walk with me. Again, if if your mind and your emotions and all these responses are going off, I totally get it. Hang with me. Hang with me. Who wants to be my next reader? For Matthew 5, I think I saw a hand over here that was willing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus says, similar kind of reasoning, not only, so last time he said, if I had to suffer, you will suffer. This time he says, rejoice, because this is what the way of God has looked like throughout history. Rejoice, because this is what they did to the prophets. Rejoice, because you are walking the path of God, and this is what happens along the path of God, persecution. Yuck. But then one more. Like, like you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I like how we're like pulling these passages together. Okay, let's just do one passage. Let's forget all the others. Let's put one passage in a vacuum. Here's the one that just gets me. This, this passage haunts me. This is the one that did me in. This is the passage where I just checked out and I was like, sorry, Ray, I'm not listening anymore. Let, let's look at one last passage. I need one more reader. Yes. I mean, you paid me a compliment. So I, yeah. Yeah. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ. This is a different author. No, it's not. It's Paul. Sorry. I'm thinking about another passage that I sometimes use. Paul, speaking to Timothy. Well, it is a different author from the Gospels we've been quoting. I guess that still works, but sorry, my brain's in another spot right now. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. This is Paul talking to Timothy. So this is now no longer about the disciples, for sure. So we went from maybe just the disciples to probably not the disciples, so I really don't think this is the two. This is not the disciples. This is all who want to live a godly life in Christ. Do you want to live a godly life in Christ? Do I want to live a godly life? All who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And not like American 2023 persecution, Christian church, evangelical, like persecution. And Here's what my teacher asked me, and this is rhetorical. I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you to wrestle with this. Here's what my teacher asked me that made me uncomfortable and I, I was done. What do you do with that? Don't answer, just think. What do you do with all these passages that say you will experience persecution? You're not greater than me, Jesus said. If I suffered, you will suffer. If the prophets suffered, you'll suffer. Be glad and rejoice that you're on the path of God. And now Paul to Timothy, all who want to live a godly life in Christ, it's me, I want to live a godly life in Christ, you will be persecuted. And some of you may very well be like, amen. I have not known persecution. Not persecution, persecution. I have not known that. What do I, if you're like me, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that Paul says all who want to live, everyone who wants to live, and the word in the Greek there for all, if you actually look at it, it means all. (laughs) Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I want to look at three passages to close out. I'm not even sure if I, have still got a little bit of time. We're just going until we're done today. I'm not stopping this one short. Are we okay? Okay, good. Okay, all right. Colossians 1.24. This is Paul talking to the church in Colossae. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. So Paul's suffering. Paul's experiencing real persecution. He's in Roman prison. Been a, he, he's experiencing the thing that Jesus told his disciples they would experience. He's literally experiencing it. So he's, he's in the midst of suffering, and Paul says he rejoices. Notice how everything that we looked at in those passages from Jesus, Paul's pulling, he is rejoicing in his sufferings. He is suffering like Jesus. He is experiencing arrest and torture, he'll tell us later at different point. He is experiencing, and he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, church in Colossae, And in my flesh, I am completing, the Greek word there means filling up. I was actually going to bring a vessel with me and I forgot. Imagine like some kind of a, you know, canister or bowl or big cup. And there's a, Jesus said, you are not greater than me. If I suffered, you will suffer. So there is a suffering that we are supposed to join with Christ in. There's suffering. There's There's an amount of suffering. Don't get too mechanical with this, but come with me. There's an amount of suffering. And Paul says, I am filling up. I rejoice in my sufferings because in my flesh I am completing, I am filling up what what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So there's a cup that has to have, Jesus said there would be suffering. There has to be suffering and persecution. So Paul says, I rejoice because in my suffering I'm topping off the cup. There was a lack. The cup was not full. And in my suffering, I get to top off what was lacking in Christ's affliction. Does that metaphor work? I know you're as uncomfortable as me. I can see that in your faces. But there's a certain amount of, and Paul says, I rejoice. For whose sake? For the sake of his body, the body of Christ. And in case we're like, oh, is that a metaphor? No, it's the church. I mean, it is a metaphor. Yes, the church. So Paul, follow Paul's reasoning. And I know this, this, does not, this makes us very uncomfortable. This, doesn't, this like goes against every American value of um, like fairness and like equality and weirdness. Paul says, I rejoice because I get to suffer and I'm topping off. And we're like, man, that's horrible theology. Like there's a material amount of suffering. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to exegete Colossians 1.24. There's an amount of suffering that was lacking And Paul says, I rejoice that I get to suffer because I get to top off what was lacking for your sake. I would assume what he's saying is so that you don't have to. I'm playing the role of sufferer today, Paul says. Hold that thought. Here's where I was saying a different author. This is a different author. This isn't even Paul. It'd be one thing if it's like, okay, that's Paul's crazy idea. This is Peter. Peter. And they don't even get along half the time. Peter and Paul are different people. And they've had lots of throwdowns. But here's Peter. Listen to him use the exact same reasoning that fits all the verses that we all read together. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Do not look at the suffering and the persecution as if this is weird and doesn't belong or should surprise you. This is what Jesus told us would happen. This is what walking the faith looks like. This is what it means to follow Jesus who suffered. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's happening to you, but rejoice insofar as that you are what? Sharing in Christ's sufferings. There's this thing that happens in the body of Christ where we suffer in order to join Jesus and share. What did Paul say? I want to know the fellowship of Christ and his sufferings, the power of death. Right? We join Jesus in suffering, but rejoice insofar as that you are sharing in Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. And I remember Ray coming back to the group and saying, what do you do with that? And then he got me the second time. First time I wasn't paying attention. He did this. We've heard this passage before. I got three verses out of 1 Corinthians 12. I don't want to read the whole thing. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Let me read that again, because I'm not sure I did that well. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So how many bodies of Christ are there? How many bodies of Christ were there back then? How many bodies of Christ are there now? Are you sure In Christ there is, that's correct. It doesn't feel like it. And here's what I, hold on, hold on, there's two more. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. This morning we stood around this table and had our Sunday prayer time, and Jeremiah prayed for believers that are in other parts of the world who would be meeting today. Breaking bread, fellowshipping, and they may do it at the cost of their freedom, imprisonment, life. That happens today in the world. And I, in my cushy experience, forget that every week. And somebody will pray about it at a Sunday morning meeting and I roll my eyes and go, Ugh. How many bodies of Christ are there? One. So there are people gathering today to break bread in the name of Jesus and they are a part of our body and I the head or the foot or the whatever <laughs> cannot look at that part of the body and say "Ah, oh, but you're like, you're like 4,000 miles away and I don't even know your name. You're not even a part of my faith tradition. Are you even Orthodox? How many bodies of Christ are there? So if there's anybody this morning experiencing persecution, torture, let me me, me just ask that question. Is there anybody on this globe this morning experiencing torture and death who are in Christ? Uh, Absolutely. Probably more than we would be comfortable to reflect on. One more. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. We are connected in this body of Christ that we may not even remember. Day to day, week to week, month to month, that I too often forget about. We are all tangled up. What did Paul say? I rejoice that I get to suffer because I'm, I'm suffering on behalf of Because there's one body of Christ. And that body of Christ will suffer because we are not greater than Jesus. And somebody is suffering as a part of the body. And it's their turn at this moment, in this chapter, at this point, in this context, at this moment in history. It's their opportunity to join Jesus and suffer. And I forget that. I forget it all the time. And we're going to move here next, and to do that, I'm going to want to reflect on that global church, this one body, and all those people, some who will be shaking as they hold bread and juice this morning, in fear. Those that will be in suffering, but I want to pause before I go there and make one final point. This We, we usually do this on like a... a Like on an institutional level, we usually do these sermons about how we're all a part of the body and you have a part and you have a part and you have a part. And I wanted to take a moment to remind myself of the global church, but let us for a moment remind ourselves that there are people in this room, in this room that are listening to, like in this room together with you, there are people who would also know what suffering and persecution feel like, at least on a level more than me. I don't know about you, but me. There are people in this room that would know what it's like to experience racial injustice and inequity. To be ridiculed, persecuted, in ways that I I won't know. But they're in the room. They're a part of our local microbody here. There are people in the room that may identify with an LGBTQ community that all they want to do is love Jesus with all their heart and all their soul and all their might and yet have experienced routine being expelled from synagogues, to put it in the words of Jesus. Always being held quite a little bit at arm's length. And so what are you saying? I'm just saying that there are people in this very room, this isn't just a, see the other danger, see the one danger is that we never think about this. We're never reminded about this, right? The other danger is that we're reminded about it, but we keep it out there in the global church. And yet there are people here in our own university Christian church, Clifton, Ohio, that share in the sufferings of Jesus. And this is why when we talk about things like sharing our stories and our testimony, seeing people, practicing empathy, disagreeing well, it's because there's how many bodies? One. And somehow hearing everybody else's story and sharing in their experience is a part of how we all suffer together or rejoice together but even here in this room, in this space, this is practically really true. And I have to tell you, I am the poorest example of how to model this well, because I forget. And frankly, I, there's, I want to forget, I, I keep myself at arm's distance. I don't, I don't know about you, I do. I would prefer to be comfortable. And, and this has become a wonderful place where I've gotten to know just a few more stories. I live all the way out in Batavia. You came and had dinner at my house. All the way out there. I want, but I want to keep having those moments because it reminds me that there are people in this room that have different, different experiences than me. And you're a part of who I am in Christ. So... Um, we want to move towards the table. Uh, and when we do, I want us to remember that all across this globe, churches everywhere get together to do this in the name of Christ. We get together and we break bread and we have different traditions and theologies and some of us only do it every quarter and some of us do it every week. And so, uh, what, but we all come together and we, we express the same faith, this one body. Like this is, the, this is one of the most universal experiences in the body of Christ and sometimes when I come to this table, I try to remind myself of how many other experiences and things that are out there are here. DJ, you're raising your hand. Yes. so dj's preaching next week <laughs> um, no i i love that question and I, I think our our context always drives our theology and our practice and so cuz cuz i think we would look we would look at some of the theology that just like and we would be like hey that's kind of weird like let's let's actually look at the theology behind like rejoicing and almost seeking blessing like that's kind of yet and yet that expression of faith came out of their context And they were stewarding persecution to the best of their ability and they were stewarding it. You know, I was just on a panel yesterday. Um, There was four of us and, and, and one of them was this black brother in Christ that I have that was talking about, somebody asked a question about what it was like growing up in the black church and he was sharing his experience. Context drove his theology and the practice of that theology. And And I think the way we have distanced ourselves from the suffering of the body of Christ has only heightened what leads to things like prosperity, gospel, and theology. Because we remove ourselves from, and our context, which is blessed, quote unquote, which is materially whatever, That drives all of a sudden our theology and it starts to shape all those things. And yet that only drives a wedge further and further and further between what Ben was expressing yesterday on the panel. He was talking about how church was the one safe place he could go to. It was the one place where we all got together to tell the truth because we couldn't do it at work and we couldn't do it on our sports teams and we couldn't do it at school, but we could do it at church in the name of Jesus. And I thought, What a compelling vision of church. I think we've forgotten how to tell the truth because we separate ourselves from those parts of the body and we say, well, we don't really need that truth of the body and we would prefer not to look at the cancer over here. We would prefer not. rather than embracing that whole body of Christ. And I just love the call to worship this morning. Love it because it reminds me that every single one of us comes with all kinds of experiences many of them non-normative. And that's so important. And when church forgets that and pushes those things to the fringes, it starts to become something else. And so remembering that we're all one body is really important. So it feels like a good transition. Could we put the confession up on the? (laughs) And so because of that, we say this every week, and all of us interact with this probably on a personal level, There's a corporate reality. There's a we up there. We confess together. Not just you and your personal sins, but all of us together. And so we do this before we come to the table. And so we're going to say this confession together. And then as the music plays and as Jeffrey does his thing, you can all come up and get the elements and then hold on to them. And I'll lead us through taking those elements here in just a moment. But would you stand with me and say this confession together?